Thank you, worship team, for leading us so well this morning. Amen. Um, I had the advantage of sitting right behind Michaela and Stacy, so I got like fourfold harmony. If you want to really worship, just sit in front of those two ladies, and uh, it's wonderful. Uh, as you can see, Pastor Ryan is joining me this morning, and this is something a little bit different of how we usually go about the preaching moment, but we trust this morning that in doing so, uh, we will still be able to discern what God may want to teach us and show us through His Word. Uh, on a weekly basis, uh, Pastor Ryan and myself and other staff members gather around the Word together. We talk about it, we listen together, we read about it, we discuss it, and we are always seeking to grow in our understanding and in our application of God's Word to our life. And perhaps in some little way this morning, you'll see uh, a model for how we can live this out as people of God. We are convinced here at Skyview that we need each other. We need each other in more ways than we are often willing to acknowledge. That the Christian life is not just the individual pursuit of holiness, but it is an invitation to become a people faithful and belonging to God. Therefore, our participation in the church is not just simply on our own. It is for the sake of one another, for the growth of the church, for the edification of those that we are discipling, and ultimately for the mission and witness of God in the world. So this morning, we invite you to be patient with us as we try to do this together. We've had a lot of fun preparing, and we trust that what we've learned and as we shared with you would encourage you and bless you this morning. Amen? At least look happy. <laughs> it's the least you can do today. Uh, I want to acknowledge a few things. We follow the Christian calendar, and there are sometimes hallmark vacation or hallmark days like Mother's Day that comes up. But it is a significant day. For each and every one of us needs to give thanks for the moms who have birthed us, without which womb we won't not be here. I also recognize on days like this that it is bittersweet for some. For some, moms are far away. For some, moms have perhaps passed on. And so this morning, we want to also, as pastors, just extend our gratitude to the many women in our community. Women are the backbone of the church. You'll hear it in the text today. They are the ones who incarnate a faithfulness, an unconditional love, sacrifice, they are stronger than we dare to believe at times. And the most significant and influential people in my life has been the faithful woman that God has blessed me with. And so I give God thanks and wish you all a very happy Mother's Day, Woman's Day. Before we get into the Scripture, Pastor Ryan, I'm going to have you pray for us and lead us in the prayer, if you would. This will be up on the screen. And then I will read the scripture and we'll get right to it. Absolutely, I'd be honored to. Let's pray this prayer together. Living God, by your Holy Spirit, open our eyes to see the new light of this day. Open our lips to tell of the empty tomb. Open our hearts to believe the good news through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Now in Joppa, there was a disciple who was named Tabitha, which in Greek, it's actually Aramaic, is Dorcas. She was devoted to good works 
and acts of charity. At that time, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in a room upstairs. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples who heard that Peter was there sent two men to him with a request. Please come to us without delay. So Peter got up and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the room upstairs. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Peter put all of them outside, and then he knelt down and prayed. He turned to the body and said, Tabitha, a.k.a. Dorcas, get up. Then she opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand, and he helped her up. Then calling the saints and widows. The original language probably reads more awkwardly, the widows who are saints. He showed her to be alive. This became known throughout Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And meanwhile, he stayed in Joppa for some time with a certain Simon, a tanner, the word of the Lord. We began our Easter journey on Resurrection Sunday with a baptism. We baptized five individuals who proclaimed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Baptism for us is a symbol of new life. It is the hallmark, if you will, of a new way of thinking about the world, one which is defined not through the power of death or the fear of losing our life, but through the hope of God through Christ who promises us life eternal. And so over the last several weeks, I've preached on this, Pastor Ryan. You were here. I was glad you were here for every church service. Uh, we started talking about how that Christ shows up to the disciples after his resurrection and how that the resurrection begins to transform and change them. We started with the account of the disciples on the road to Emmaus who were so discouraged because they could not understand why Jesus, the hope they had for him, would die, would die such a brutal death. And yet, Jesus joins them, opens the Bible to them, the Scriptures to them, and beginning with Moses and going through all the prophets says, hey, this was always a part of the plan. And then I suggested that in the resurrection, after the resurrection, the disciples began to look not only at the world differently, but they began to see the Scripture in a whole new light. They began to see the hope of Jesus Christ. And more importantly, they started to believe that they shared in that hope. And so Peter goes from this fearful <laughs> denier of Christ to becoming a significant part of the church. I love that God does that. I love that God takes people like Peter who are not at their best. I, you know, I sometimes when, 
when we think about the Christian life and those in leadership, we often think that it must be their qualification, their smarts. If you look at Pastor Ryan and me, you may think it's because of their good looks. It's not the time to laugh. But the reality is those who are called of God are not called because they have in and of themselves the ability to do that which God called him to. When we look at Peter's life, he moves from fear to being filled with God's Spirit to faith. He begins to proclaim the hope of Jesus Christ. And we see this incredible transformation in Peter. Not only does he begin to read the Scriptures back to the community and say, this Jesus fulfilled all that this Scripture had been talking about, but he started to look a lot like Jesus. He started to heal people. (laughs) You know what the resurrection life is? The resurrection life is learning to, to live like Jesus lived so that people might often confuse you to be one of his. From this kind of denial that uh, I'm not with him to, man, you look an awful lot like him. And we see in the resurrection life of Peter himself this transformation that moves him from fear to faith. And so this morning, we started with Damascus, uh, with Emmaus, went to Damascus. I didn't even talk about that. That was a good sermon, wasn't it? (laughs) Damascus. You're not supposed to laugh there. It's in my notes. Damascus, don't laugh, Pastor Ryan. Um, to Joppa. So why don't you tell us a little bit about where we find ourselves in the Scripture this morning? Yeah, I, I mean, Joppa is a significant place in Scripture. As you were talking, though, I was just thinking about this idea. We're going to talk about discipleship today. I mean, hopefully discipleship is always a part of our conversation, but I think it shows up uniquely in the text today. As you're talking about this process of discipleship, I think there's this, what I'm trying to learn trying to learn as I'm following Jesus in my own life is this process of almost Jesus holding a mirror up to me and showing me the ways that perhaps I have not been enough. I have not followed closely enough. I've not listened well enough. And I think it's modeled in the life of Peter because when I read the story of Peter, there's an obvious place where I want to identify. I want to identify in this Acts 9 text with Peter because Peter's raising Dorcas from the dead. But we remember where Peter's story started in the courtyard they asked, do you know him? I said, no. We read those stories and we think, oh, yeah, like that's other people. I think faithful discipleship has this posture of humility where we can honestly say, maybe at times I have been that. Maybe at times I am still that way. And for all of those things, we can't help but say, Lord, help us. Hmm. And so I think as we think about where we are today, there's this place in Scripture. We talk a lot about Scripture, the importance of it being rooted in a place um, that it doesn't happen in a vacuum, right? It doesn't just say kind of the Bible's written outside of time and space, but it's written in locations, in history, among certain people. And so Joppa has to kind of invite our attention as we read it. We started this journey at Emmaus, this kind of road where uh, the disciples didn't recognize Jesus. And we kind of look at that, we're like, oh, like, how dare you not recognize? We would have recognized Jesus. But then I wonder, maybe I wouldn't have but as we followed this journey all the way to Joppa, we, we have to identify kind of a couple different things. I think that Joppa is a place of conflict. Pastor Sue's going to talk about, you know, some kind of Old Testament allusions to Joppa. We see Jonah there earlier. It's obviously a really important piece. But 
Joppa, if all the good historians in the room, and this is why I lean on good historians, but I, we know from just basic understanding of Joppa, for about like a thousand years, it was owned and conquered by five or six different world powers. Because Joppa was a significant place in this area because it was a port city. Port cities were places where resources came in and resources went out. And it was a significant place because it had access to Egypt. It's where King Solomon in the Old Testament gets the cedar trees that builds the temple. It's this really, really important place. And with really important places, everybody wants a piece of the pie. <laughs> everybody wants a piece of that success because with it comes money, power, prestige, a name for yourself. And so Joppa just naturally is a place that is contested. So people for generations have owned and ruled and conquered and stripped power away from others. And so it just leads us to, to, I think, make this claim. I think this is fair. I always try to be careful about what claims we make on Scripture, but I think we can make this. This Joppa had a story, a story of conflict. And I think as, you know, maybe as some of us think about our own maybe family histories, there's stories there, some good stories that bring life and joy some hurtful, painful stories mm. that bring mm. burden. Even stories that go back a generation still seem to embed themselves in the way we think. Mm. If there's been, um, if parents have split up in the past, whether it's parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, we would be naive to say that doesn't influence the way that our kids think about marriage. We see that all throughout history in a number of ways. And so I think Joppa is significant in that respect. And it asks us this question today. What are the stories that perhaps shape where we are? Maybe what are the stories that shape you in your own life, in your family? What are the stories that shape who we are here at Skyview? Hmm. Where were we? Where have we come from? You know, I've had the honor of kind of stepping into a story. Maybe some of you that are new, I share in that kind of weirdness where we're stepping into a long story. But some of you have been here for a very, very long time and know the kind of nomadic history of who Skyview was going from place to place to place and now having this place that we're trying to call our home in some ways. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's stories that uh, define Calgary for us, mm -hmm. defined this neighborhood. Maybe there's stories that define Canada, our country, maybe this part of the world. I think all those questions matter immensely when we think about um, this place in Scripture. But Stu, what else is Joppa for us? Not just a place of conflict, but it's also a place of something else. Thank you that you didn't steal my thunder by saying it. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, Joppa is also a place of departure. If anybody read the Old Testament, the minor prophet Jonah, God calls Jonah to go to a place called Nineveh to proclaim the hope of God's repentance to Syrian people who were bloodthirsty. They were warmongering. And Jonah, as a devout member of the people of God, says, I don't think so. The Scripture tells us that Jonah goes to Joppa so that he can escape the calling of God to go to Nineveh. And so historically, Joppa represents for us a place of running away from the calling and the mission that God has for His servant, who becomes a representative of Israel. 
Now I know for some of you Old Testament people, that's exciting, fun. Stu actually talks about the Old Testament. I will have you know I speak about the Old Testament a lot. I just don't quote it. But what is interesting to me about Joppa is, is that Joppa then can biblically be looked at as a place that represents a particular story, a story that shows us that even the people who are called to do that which God wants them to do oftentimes tends to want to run away from the hard places that God calls them to go. There is a, a vein of Christianity that is leaning further away from engaging the world with the hope of Christ and moving towards a protectionist, fearful posture, a lack of mercy in Jonah for a people that God loved even though they were sinners. And so Joppa is relevant for us today because I think the church is facing a time and place where we have to decide whether in fact we will be obedient to the calling of God or whether we will seek to go another way. So some of you may be saying to me, well, Stu, what on earth does that have to do with what we're really talking about? And that's why I have Pastor Ryan here. By the way, I hope you recognize the gift that Pastor Ryan brings to our community. Um, yeah. Huh. And uh, our friendship is developing, our trust is developing. It's hard to prepare something together. <laughs> Even though we both love Scripture, we approach it sometimes differently. But I learn from him all the time, and this is particularly interesting to me. When we think about what we're talking about, discipleship, living as those who believe in the resurrection, moving away from fear to faith, where do we go with the text particularly? How does it help this community of people to learn how to live in hope and in faith? Yeah, I mean, I think it has everything to do with that. This text in particular reminds me kind of what you alluded to earlier, and I think what I'm learning, even in our friendship, is that Scripture cannot be understood fully by any one person. That it is, it kind of walks this line of being really individual. Like it tells these stories of people in particular places, in particular households. It, it names people at times. Yet also at the same time, it's so much bigger than that. And so it always holds this tension. Maybe we could say it like this. It's about my world. And at the same time, it's about our world. And so one of the gifts that you alluded to earlier is just, what we do on our Tuesday staff meetings, like, you know, after we, like, do all the business and all those things, we also spend a significant portion of time talking through the Scripture together. And that, I realized what a gift that was to me when I was preparing the sermon for that week, is that I didn't have to do it alone, and not just that it was a helpful thing, but it was actually a necessary thing. And so, if you're reading Scripture, which I hope you are, learning to establish those rhythms every day, trying to get better and better, what I hope you're also making space for is learning to read Scripture with the context of others. Whether that's just at the dinner table with your family before you eat a meal, you read a passage together, or those of you that are engaged in some of our small groups. Whatever it might be, one of, one of the best, we're talking about stories, one of the most significant memories in my past. When, and 
you never appreciate things when you're kids, right? And you always appreciate them late. Well, not always, but sometimes you appreciate them when you grow up. And you inevitably, I remember making that phone call to my mom when I was 21. And I said, man, I was, I'm so sorry for all the ways that I wasn't. One of the most significant memories, I was, you know, raised by my parents, but also my, my mom's parents, my grandparents lived very close. And that was such a formative thing for me because we were almost always over there. They were like right across the street. So it was like a second home for us. And every night if we were over, my grandfather insisted that we would sit around in the living room and we'd read scripture together. Mm. And as a kid, I'm sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, not like another passage from the Old Testament. <laughs> but I look back at it now and it's interesting, like it just happened. I would go back to visit and I'd say, hey, Papa, are we going to do devotions as a family? Because when I didn't have it, I missed it. And I realized what a significant formative experience it was for me. And so that's what I hope we hear out of this text is that it's speaking to you speaking to each of you, but it's also at the same time speaking to all of us. Mm. And I think that's, that's the unique tension. I think that when we look at Scripture, sometimes, you know, we do a really good job of outsourcing things to other people. You know, I like, we've done our, Michaela and I have done our taxes enough to know that we're not uh, accountants. <laughs> we're not really good at that. And so we outsource things as much as we can. We ask questions to practitioners, to professionals, Sometimes when we think about our own faith, we can, that model does a disservice to us because we can think, well, we outsource that responsibility to the professionals, the practitioners, like Pastor Stu, who's just, you know, professional at Scripture. But when, that, you could laugh there if you want to, but they didn't laugh, which means that they have faith in you. So take thank that you. as a thank, sign of Thank proof. you, Ryan, for You're pointing welcome. that out. But I think one of the things that we hope to do, and, and those of you that have been reading Scripture for a long time will pick up on some of these things, there's ways that we can begin to read Scripture a little more critically. One of the things that I like to do, and Stu likes to do as we read through, is look at the characters. Who are the characters? Um, what are they doing? What does Scripture tell us about them? What does it not tell us about them? All of these things are really interesting. So, Stu, tell us a little bit about this character, Peter, as we find him in the story today. Peter is the character we like to kind of look at and say, man, he missed it a lot. Um, the older I get, the more I need uh, to be reminded that I'm more like Peter than I care to admit. Uh, Peter shows us a true humanity and a true desire to follow. There's no doubt when you read the life of Peter, the story of Peter, both historically and Josephus and the other accounts, the extra-biblical text, is that he was a sincere person. He wanted to follow Jesus, but things happened that made him afraid. He denied Christ, not because he wanted to, but because he feared what would be happen, what would happen to him if he acknowledged Christ. And an environment in which to acknowledge Christ meant that you would possibly be persecuted. And so, I think an honest reading of Scripture is not to always look at it and go, you know what, uh, he's not like me, I'm not like him, but to perhaps also recognize that whenever we read Scripture, we tend to put ourselves in the favorable position so we'd like an Acts 9 Peter, as you said, as opposed to the Lucan Peter that we get. But there's a sense in which Peter also becomes who God wants him to be. And I want to say this, he does not become who God wants him to be by sheer determination and will alone. He becomes who God wants him to be through obedience and listening to Christ and allowing God to give him his spirit. The spirit of God fills Peter, doesn't make him automatically the man God wants him to be. He has to learn to cooperate with the Spirit. In fact, 
If you read Acts 9, 10, 11, you will see how God's Spirit is changing Peter more and more, ever the more, into the person God wants him to be. So when we talk about resurrection, when we talk about Christianity, this church believes that not only are we called to be saved, we are called to be maturing Christians, to grow into all that God wants us to be. Where we begin is not where God will leave us. And if you look at an honest account of the Gospels, you will see that some disciples begin way down here. And they go up and down and up and down. Does it describe some of your journey? Two steps forward, five steps back. And yet, there is the hope that we see in Peter's story of a man who becomes that which he doubted he could ever be through the help of God. And so in the text, we see a man who responds like Jesus did. <laughs> do, do you realize how, how Peter looks so much like Jesus that they call upon him and they say, hey, someone died, you should come. You know, if discipleship is to be defined in any simplistic way, I would say this, that we look so much like Jesus that we are confused to be him. Now, there's some amongst us who will say, you know what, hang on, Stu, I'm not Jesus. Whoa, Nelly. Is that a Canadian term or American? It's a Stu term, maybe. There is a sense in which we can read the Scripture in such a way that we say, well, that's somebody, it doesn't relate to me. And I think there's something about reading Peter honestly that says, Peter could not do it in his own strength. He relied upon God's Spirit. God's Spirit helped him, but he became obedient and believed what Jesus said. You know what Jesus says to his disciples? You will do greater things. Now, we don't believe that. Here's lazy Christianity. It's all on Jesus. You know what Jesus prays for His disciples? He says, don't take them out of the world, keep them in the world, protect them from the world, but keep them there for the sake of the world, because the world needs these kinds of people. And so Peter becomes an example for us of growing faith. He becomes somebody who embodies so much the way of Jesus that he begins to be confused to be Jesus. He gets invited into places that Jesus would have got invited into. And he does exactly what Jesus did. He goes into the room throws everybody out. He prays, and he's a part of resurrection. And what would the church do when it starts to apprehend the power of the Holy Spirit that is at our disposal? That's Peter. How about Dorcas? That's a name that's interesting. I've met one person named Dorcas, so don't make fun of the name. But it's interesting, isn't it, that the, Aram uh, the Aramaic is given here by Luke. Why don't you talk a little bit about Dorcas, and perhaps that's the starting point. Yeah, what's interesting in Scripture, you know, whenever we read a character, it's always important to ask, where else do they show up? What else do they do? We have a lot for Peter, and the story is very compelling. You know, yeah. it takes us where Peter began is not where Peter ends. We have very little this is actually the only allusion to Dorcas in Scripture, and so we cling to very few words, but I think the words that are given is a reminder that when people, people that knew her, this is how they knew her. 
Mm-hmm. It, what's interesting, you had kind of alluded to there's a translation given. So her name's Dorcas, but also Tabitha in the Aramaic, is that it's almost like the author, Luke, who wrote Luke and Acts both, is realizing something that God is doing. I think if we were honest with ourselves, sometimes when we think about the expanse, you know, that kingdom come, that will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that kingdom that we imagine is actually pretty small. It actually has a lot of lines and boundaries about kind of where we want it to be and where we don't want it to be. We're always kind of playing catch up to God, or at least I feel like I am. I'm always trying to catch up to where God is because I think I imagine enough, and God says, it's bigger than that. And what's interesting is this, as Luke writes this, he sees this woman, Dorcas, and he realizes, oh, it's, it's bigger than that. I need to include her Aramaic name because the kingdom is expanding beyond just the Jewish community. That's very good, Ryan. It's, well, That's I stole it from you. You said it to me. <laughs> You're not supposed to say that again in, in my notes. Don't say that. No. What's also interesting, we know very little about Dorcas, as I was saying, but what Scripture tells us is this. She was committed to good works and acts of charity. Almost kind of a redundancy, but to say, like, she was committed to good works and more good works. Like, this is who she is at her core. I think it wouldn't be unfair to say that Dorcas was a disciple, a disciple of the risen Lord Jesus. What's interesting about this story that we get so little of is that it reminds us that there are stories that we often don't hear. You know, I grew up reading uh, books about people that were influential in the church. You know, when I was in fifth grade, we read a number of them, and we'd get a prize or whatever and read those books. But I knew some of these bigger stories. But stories like this remind me that there's thousands and thousands of other stories of people that serve faithfully in their own communities. Dorcas was a woman that recognized need in her community. She's said to have sewn garments, clothing for the widows around her. It kind of implies something about perhaps she was, a, was poor herself, but recognized that she needed to share that which she was given. And there's no indication in the text that she did this for any sort of power or privilege. Like, I don't think she did it hoping that maybe one day she would make it into the accounts of the apostles. Or did it so one day maybe she would make it on the news, or someday people would tell her story. I think the fact that we're telling her story today would maybe surprise her. Because it shows that she served faithfully not for the sake of attention, not for the sake of prestige or power, but for the sake of the risen Lord. Can I just interject? Yeah. I think this Tabitha is amidst us. Yeah. Why am I getting so weepy? <laughs> I'm just hitting middle age. I'm going to be a mess in my 70s. Just a... <laughs> This has got to stop. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Fill it together, Stu. Um, the unsung heroes of faith. You know, when we preach, when I preach every Sunday, I preach with gusto and I'm emphatic and I'm passionate. And sometimes I think what's lost, uh, Pastor Ryan, is that sometimes I fail to acknowledge that God is already at work. And sometimes discerning that God is already at work through the people of God doesn't show up on spreadsheets and doesn't show up on reports and annual meetings, which, by the way, please come to, because otherwise it's just the two of us. (laughs) But there are some people here who are being that faithful. 
learning to serve where there's need, learning to be sacrificial. If you don't know who that person is in this community, I bet you anything that you, if you look at your own faith story, can name people that have been that way. Today we think about moms, but think about the many people that have made it possible for you to have this faith. Not because they knew all the answers, but because they embodied what it means to follow Jesus. Give God thanks. Yeah, I mean, as you're talking, I think we have to be honest about where we are in our modern day. One of the gifts of the modern age is the internet. Like, while we may groan at some of the implications of it, it has been a gift. It has connected us in ways, and it has also helped us to elevate certain stories, some good stories that need to be heard and some heartbreaking stories we don't often hear. But also at times, it does not include other stories that we don't hear. Mm -hmm. And why I bring that up is I think it perhaps has trained us maybe in a way to think about our own engagement in the world with kind of a cost and return. Kind of the good economists in the room would think about, well, if I do this, what will I get back? This idea that, well, if I do something, will somebody be there to see it? If I, you know, serve in this way, how, what kind of impact might it make? You know, we want, when we give our money to charity, we want to know exactly how every dollar is spent and know so we can calculate in our mind. The idea of giving away acts of charity without actually knowing where the acts of charity might lead messes with us a little bit. And I think as we think about our own faith community, what Skyview Community Church is to be to this Northern Hills area, I think we can learn from people like Dorcas because I think one of the temptations will and always be that we become a place for ourselves. We become a name for ourselves, that we would be known as that church that does those things and we can see and visualize. And don't hear me wrong, that those things are good. But if that becomes the primary motivation for why we do what we do, women like Dorcas teach us that for the sake of the gospel, we serve. Not for the sake of ourselves, for the sake of attention, for the sake of any other thing. There's something else that just one other thing I want to add about Dorcas that is fascinating to me. And Pastor Stu, the Greek scholar that he is, helps me in this when I, when I look at these words. I won't bore you too much, but I've got just two words for you today. The other thing that we know about Dorcas is that when Peter came to visit, she became ill and she died. Now, simplistically, yes, this is true. She became ill and she died. Many of us know this experience, whether through family members relatives, friends. Many of us have been in the room when these things have happened. And while that is true, there's also something else going on. You see, because what we know is that the words that are used for ill is more than just sick, but it's actually the word that Paul often uses throughout his letters to talk about those that are weak for the sake of others, those that let go of their own power, privilege, and control to make space for those that have none. Also, the word that is used for died it's not just the simple died, out of life, no breath, but it's deeper than that. It's those that are also spiritually dead, much like the cry, how Christ died for the sake of others. I think what's interesting about this, and don't worry, there won't be a quiz on these Greek words later because Lord help us if there is, all of us. But I think what's interesting is that when they look at this encounter with Dorcas, yes, she was ill and she died, but also this woman lived and died by the way of Jesus. Mm -hmm. We know some of these people. 
when I sat in the hospital with my grandmother when she passed away, and I walked up and my mom just shook her head and I knew that was the moment. There was something in the room. Like she was there, ill, breathing her last breaths, but there was something deeper than that. Because this woman that modeled faith for me both lived and died by the way of Jesus. And I think that's important for us to remember that the way we live, not just the way we live on Sundays, not just the way we live maybe in our small group gatherings, not just the way we live when we, when we do this kind of Christian thing, but the way we live in all of our lives, when we interact with the cashier at the restaurant, when they're clearly understaffed and stressed, when we engage with people online and we post things on Facebook, might be strong opinions. When we engage with people in the world that we clearly disagree with politically, socially, economically, about this last two years has perhaps brought out and accentuated the ways that we maybe disagree with one another more than we agree. I think what Dorcas reminds us is that above all of those things is a posture that we would call resurrection life, a posture that we would call a posture that is by those who follow in the way of the risen Lord, that defines not only their life, but also their death. So I'm wondering then, these two characters, what do they have to teach us as the church today, Stu? You're the senior pastor, so you get to answer that big question. What does it have to teach us as a church? And we'll draw to a conclusion here. Are you still with us? You say amen. I think just a quick reflection that I think um, from this account, we get an honest perspective of discipleship that invites people, irrespective of where they are on the journey, to believe that God can make us who He desires us to be. Um, I would also say that this scripture teaches us that sometimes participating in the kingdom of God requires simple acts discerned from observing where there is need and stepping up and stepping in. Dorcas is mourned by those whom she loved in practical ways. Uh, sometimes in this culture, we, we place value on things that others don't necessarily see as important, but there's something wonderful about Dorcas' example. She, she cares for those who it was easy to not care for. You remember earlier in Acts, there was a controversy in the early church. You know, churches have controversies. We don't want it here, but it happens sometimes. The controversy was that there was Hebraic widows and there was Greek widows and they weren't being treated fairly. Remember that? And then the disciples gathered and they said, how are we going to solve this? And they elect seven spirit-filled men to serve the woman. That'll preach. And it is fascinating to me to see that Dorcas represents a disciple of Jesus in the most legitimate way that the early church knew how to express it. She had her eyes open to the needs around her, and she responded. So if you're sitting here today, and you're saying, you know, I want to I live the way Jesus wants you to live, let me just say this to you. 
Every one of us can begin by opening our eyes to the needs around us. I'll tell you this little story. Oh, there I go again. My youngest daughter and I drove to Superstore. Late at night, Dad was going to get unhealthy snacks because we do that in my home. <laughs> a little too much. As we got out, there was a gentleman who walked up to us and um, he just asked, you know, if he could get something, uh, some money. And I said, I don't carry cash. And that's the unfortunate part of our society. I only carry cards. And I said, but I'll get you something. What do you want? He said, strawberry yogurt. You know, he didn't really have teeth to chew much. And he, you know, he kind of just kind of said strawberry. So we went in, we got our stuff, we rushed out. We had two big things of strawberry yogurt. And when we came out, we couldn't find him. So we drive around, the two of us. My daughter is my little daughter. She's not little anymore. <laughs> She's the one that noticed the man. She's the one that insisted we find him. She's the one that said to me, Dad, this is not right that we can't find him. We got to get this to him. She inspired me so that now in the back of my car, in my trunk, I have two bags, one with gloves and mitts, toothpaste, and another one with, couldn't put yogurt in there because we know what will happen, <laughs> but with some preserved goods so that we can respond. And I know some of you would say, Stu, but that doesn't deal with the big systemic problem of poverty in the world. But I got to tell you, friends, it's got to start somewhere. It's got to start somewhere. Dorcas shows us a perspective of discipleship that I think anyone can access. And then, uh, I think your question was how this is relevant to the church. I'll close with this. I would say there's a few things that came out of our listening sessions. We were listening to you as a church, and some of you acknowledged you wanted deep and spiritual growth opportunities. I want to suggest, as we had started this session, talking about the significance of Scripture in shaping our lives. I don't think I'm wrong when I say that, say this, that we are often made to feel guilty for not reading the Bible enough. However, if this is the only time you get to hear from the Bible, I'm not sure if that's going to help you live faithfully. We actually don't care. I didn't run this by the board, but I, I, it's, it's late now. We actually don't care whether you belong to our small groups or not. But as long as you belong to a place and a community of people where you're sitting around the Word of God and you're learning it, not only in terms of your intellectual capacity for understanding the language, the history, the context, and the literary nature of the text, but for understanding what it would mean for you. So when we acknowledge deep and spiritual growth opportunities, I want to say that we live in an era where the Word of God is accessible. There is no reason, no reason why we cannot find the time. You know how I practically do this? I have an app in the morning when I drive my daughter to work. I put on my devotional for the day, and the two of us listen to it together. And we just listen to it. It's 10 minutes Start my day of thinking, reflecting upon Scripture. 
If we want to grow deeper with the Lord, it begins by learning how to listen to His Word. The second thing that I want to say is um, we have to learn how to serve as the people of God. And let me make this very clear. The church cannot provide every ministry opportunity to meet every need. If we think that the success of our church is defined by what ministries we produce, we've missed what it means to be the church. God has called us all to be servants in this world, to find ways to participate. Men can learn how to serve their families more faithfully. CEOs can learn how to care for their staff more significantly. Siblings can learn how to serve each other better. We all can be better friends. We all can begin to pay attention to the ways in which God has already put people in our lives that we can respond to. In our church, and I will close with this, there are some very practical ways that you can help. And I'm going to start with what I consider to be the way Jesus would talk about His kingdom. The jobs that often we think are the most unimportant, like cleaning. I walked into this church yesterday, and I ran into my friend, my new friend. I like her so much because I love her British accent. Judith was leaving. And she said to me as I passed her, she says, it's all bright and sparkly for you, Pastor. <laughs> and she had spent a few hours here cleaning. But not only in terms of just the idea of we need a clean facility to worship in, but the attitude and the heart, the servant attitude and heart that's displayed there. So we have opportunities. If you know how to clean a window, I don't know, fling a vacuum, children and youth, we want to invest in them, grow them as disciples. We need people who are so concerned about the formation of our children and youth that they would do all they can to be the best volunteers and helpers in youth ministry and children's ministry. We're not looking to fill gaps. We're looking to disciple the next generation. You know what you could do? You could come along as a volunteer just to be present to help direct kids. You can come if you have a desire to teach and grow and shape the lives of children, become a teacher. There's many ways you can participate. You can volunteer on Pastor Ryan's youth ministry. Some of you say, I'm not there yet. Simple way to jump in, food bank, Tuesday mornings, Tuesday nights. Can you move carts, put together groceries? You can jump in. Community garden, green, green fingers, apparently no experience required, and several other ministry opportunities. Very practical, but perhaps the scripture lends itself to that. Closing thoughts. Yeah, I think one, one thought that I want to add, all this stuff's great. Um, we started by talking about Jopa. Jopa is a place with a story, with a deep history of pain and brokenness. A place where those who were called by God practiced unfaithfulness, mm -hmm. chose to run away rather than run towards. I think there's places in our lives that carry these broken stories. 
if you find yourself having come from a broken home. Maybe one generation, two generations, three generations removed. Maybe it's your present reality now as one who came from a broken home. I praise God that God rewrites stories. Joppa's story here is being rewritten. <laughs> Peter yeah. is being transformed. Dorcas is being raised from life. It's this very small individual story, but also at the same time, Joppa is being saved. Joppa is being renewed. Joppa's story has not had the last word. But God still has something to say. Yes. If we think areas in our lives have already been written, stories have been concluded, final words have been said, stories like this would remind us that that's not the gospel. And I praise God for that in my own life and Amen. in the lives of our community. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor Ryan. And uh, I trust that this was helpful to you. As our worship team comes, I want you to prepare yourself um, for uh, a response to the word that has been shared and proclaimed. And uh, as, you, uh, as you do so, would you join me in prayer? Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your hope. We thank you for the ways in which when we open your word, we're always learning something. Here at Skyview, we desire more than just to have the intellectual knowledge of your scripture. We want your word to become a source of life, hope, transformation. And so, Lord, we pray that what has been shared would do that. It would be seeds that brings forth the renewal in us, not only individually, but in our church. In Jesus' name, amen.